Hello and welcome to the sixth edition of Look Closer, the Found Fiction podcast. If you've never listened before, this show is a creative search for inspiration. In every edition, I'll meet up with a different writer to take a journey around their neighbourhood and explore the places, people and communities around them. The things that inspire them as creative thinkers and the makers of great things. This time, I went to Headingley in Leeds to meet poet Joe Williams. Joe is a prolific performer on the northern spoken word scene and best known recently for his verse novella Otley Run, which examines the highs and lows of a group of characters along the real-life Otley Run, a pub crawl in Leeds. Oh, hey. How are you, Joe? Good man, yeah, you? Alright, yeah. Good stuff, it bright and early. This abandoned pub. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it's quite sad, isn't it? I guess on a Sunday, it's usually that morning after the night before, but it looks fairly peaceful and clean and everything, so... Yeah. Good a time as any, I think. Sign there, advertising football matches from the 17th of October. Really? No way. Yeah, I've not actually been up this bit of Headingley. I've never done the Otley Run, so right. um, no. I'm sure you, you know this place like the back of your hand by now. <laughs> uh, pretty much, yes. Uh, yeah, welcome to Sunday. <laughs> That's brutal. Yeah, well, anyway, let's get moving. Uh, so first of all, why have you chosen to meet outside Woody's in Headingley? Well, What's gone? Woody's is the start of the Otley Run, which um, is a, an important part of my writing life, I guess, because I wrote a book about the Otley Run. And um, it's also kind of representative of, I guess, the beginning of Headingley, which is my stomping grounds. Right. So uh, I thought this I'd maybe I'd, uh, this, yeah, this is, it feels like the border okay. of Headingley to me. I don't know whether it would be counted as that officially. Probably. Why does that? Why does that? Why does it feel like uh, a border to you? Is it kind of officially a street that marks Headingley from the next bit? Or I don't think so. It's just because just because the Otley Run thing really, and because Uh you know Headingley, as well as the Otley Run, is just kind of quite renowned for pubs, restaurants, bars, all that sort of stuff. And this is this is like the first one in the area. Really, you have to go quite a quite a way off the road before there's another one in the other Right, direction. so it's the first pub in the series of pubs that you encounter down the Otley Run, yeah. which is a famous pub crawl, right, going into Leeds. That's right, yeah. So, okay, cool. So it's Sunday morning and I guess, as I said when we met, there's, there's obviously no one here, there's been no one here yesterday, like there would be people drinking here and celebrating birthdays just in fancy dress, just yeah. for the sake of it. But not so much anymore. And it's really quiet. Uh, this building could be someone's house. It's 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 just you know it's not a pub as we would know it, right? So I guess it's an interesting sense of place that you get because a place is about the people as well as the actual bricks and mortar, right? Exactly. Yes, I would I would suggest it's more about the people than anything else. In certainly in an urban area uh-huh, like uh-huh. this, um, that's how I would feel about it. Certainly. It's somewhere I've done quite a bit of writing. I, I write a lot in pubs, which oh, is one right. of the reasons why I ended up writing about the Otley Run, I guess. Right, okay, um, cool. So this is, well, 
this is this is one one of the pubs that I have written in on many occasions. I know, although not the one I uh, I write most often in. I think we'll, we'll may well pass that one okay. later on. Well, let's we go along. let's head down the road then, and uh, along the way we'll just comment on what inspires us and I'll ask you a few questions about your writing process and what you're working on at the moment that kind of thing okay so there's kind of traffic whizzing by at the moment buses lorries and cars and everything we've been splashed a few times because it's been raining overnight <laughs> it's that kind of Sunday morning I mean does is Sunday an inspiring day for you I think we talk a lot about where we like to write and what time of day but do you feel like Sundays in themselves are quite creative days or not so much or what? I, I don't think it really matters that much to me. I don't feel like one day is much different to another for the for the most part. I kind of I suppose I've I feel more about Sunday as a as a memory, remembering back to when I was a kid and all the shops were shut on a Sunday yeah. and everything and it was it seems really weird that it used to be like that not that long ago. And they felt like really boring times to me when I was young. So I think it's one of those days that it would be convenient if inspiration was to strike you on a day like Sunday when you, many people have got the time to sort of sit and work on something yeah but it's not always it's not always a kind of quiet vibes that stir your creativity is it you know no I'd say it's probably the opposite for me if anything really I, I prefer to kind of people watch and sort of see what's going on around yeah around me and you know I'm much more of a an urban writer in that sense I'm not the kind of person who although I, you know I like to go and sit in a quiet place in the woods or something but that wouldn't be what really inspires me my writing particularly so so what might you be inspired by walking down the street or sitting in a pub I mean is it overhearing people is it just watching them interact what is yeah it? or both of those things and then and just having time to to sit and think while kind of things go on around me so it might not um, it might not necessarily be something that happens sort of in front of me that actually inspires something but yeah. just the fact that there are things going on and I'm kind of sitting there with a pen in my mouth thinking about what to write yeah yeah it makes things happen I guess just gonna go over to the side of the new inn is this another pub on the route yeah this is um, Normally this would be pub number three. We just passed the three horseshoes back there as well. I've just I've just noticed this frame that's kind of it would have been maybe an advertising board or a notice board of some kind, and the backing of it's just been eroded or removed, and there's literally just a frame around it. Yeah, I just like the concept of a frame around nothing. You know what I mean? Yes, it's like a very. Uh, abstract piece of artwork just well, some bricks on a wall yeah yeah it's like obviously just kind of by accident it's just the frame that remains and it's kind of like it draws your attention into something that should be in the center of it it's like you know it's yeah. kind of like writing in a way you can just stick a frame around something random and make it beautiful oh, that's kind of what came that's to a, mind that's a good metaphor you know what I, I, mean? That one, you know yeah. what I mean explain as we head into like headingly into the kind of urban bit with the shops and stuff what is this street like on a on its most bustling days you know on a weekend well it's uh, we're on the Otley road going into town and it's one of the busiest roads in leeds um for traffic it's a commuter route for starters and it's like the main route north out of leeds really but um yeah normally there will be a lot of people here as well which there aren't today uh, uh -huh. it's a 
sort of the edge of the, the student area, so the the yeah. Opie Run and the pubs in general are popular with students. And For sure. yeah, normally because a lot of people do the the Opie Run in fancy dress, normally you'd see people coming down uh, dressed as Mickey Mouse or something. Uh, Okay. Bunchy guys all dressed as hockey girls or something like that. All huh. sorts of things. But of course, there's none of that today. It's cool because, I mean, looking at the houses around, it, it's got a grandness, a, a grandeur about it, this place. Yeah. I mean, you don't associate it with students so much. Well, just being a visitor today, it looks pretty grand. I mean, there's these Victorian Edwardian houses or whatever with big kind of entrances and driveways. And yeah. To yeah. think that it must have been a huge change when students did start coming here, you know. Yes, it's retained a lot of the character in that way from, you know, back in the 19th century when it was a, yeah, it was a place for the wealthy landowners to, to build their mansions and that's how Heavenly started to, to build up as a, as a sort of bustling yeah. suburb. But yes, it's, um, I mean, even since I first came here in the 90s, it's quite a, a different place to what it was then. Tell us a bit about what you're working on at the moment then. I've got a, a new book coming out next spring, um, a book of poetry called The, the Taking Parts, which is poems based on the themes of sporting games. Although, being poetry, they're not really about sporting games at all. Uh -huh. They just use that as a, a sort of framework. As a hook, yeah. So they're mainly, they're mainly poems about people, I think. So I'm uh, just putting the finishing touches to that Lovely. at the moment in preparation for that coming out in May, June possibly, we're not quite sure yet. Fantastic, fantastic and and like, you know, the an Otley Run, the collection that you put together is obviously well received and both in kind of literary form and, and as a performance piece I gather, yeah? Yeah, that's it's gone very well, I think um, one of the things about it was that I, when I was working on it, I was really surprised that no one had ever done it before, because um, it's because it's such a well-known and, and relieved and relieved I was as well yes <laughs> yeah you're right you're right it's kind of a an immersive an immersive kind of trail isn't it and I, I think I like the concept of it as a alternative tour you know a yeah. tour that offers a bit, a bit of inspiration as well yeah well you know to me I like walking and I've, uh, I've got a poem called The Urban Pedestrian which is kind of how I look at myself really um yeah you know it's i always walk everywhere i can and you know either to get from place to place or or just to get out the house and that kind of you know being around in that urban environment and just seeing what's going on is as i said you know the the sort of thing that inspires me and i think particularly with something like the otley run because of the nature of it it's really it's just a gathering of all kinds of different people you know, a mixing of of communities that yeah. you don't get in in, a, in many places really. But pubs are particularly good for that, particularly in an area like this where there is, you know, that mix of students and local residents and and people who come here just for the weekend for the Otley Run for yeah. a stag do or something. Just walking past this, is it just an electricity box or, or yeah, something? Yeah, a phone and box or something. People it's, are kind of painted. On it, a nice colourful rainbow and by Burley Banksy, age six and a half. <laughs> six I didn't and know half. that was a thing out here. People, street art like this, is that kind of a thing that's cropped up at the moment? Yeah, it's one of the things I really like about Headingley. I think this sort of thing 
you see it a lot now, but it's, I think Headingley is the first place uh, where I first started to see it. see it. I mean, possibly just because I live here, but I think um, yeah. in Leeds, at least, it was one of the first places to, to have this sort of thing. And you see them all over the place now. I think we'll probably see a few more along our, our walk uh-huh. today. I think, I think I am noticing that the art and literature as well, all arts, is becoming more part of the community now rather than for obvious reasons being kind of drawn into the city centre venues it's kind of rolling out to the communities and inspiring people in public spaces I think that's that's something I am noticing more yes I think you're right on that yeah that uh, street art is a, a good example of that it's it's a, it's a very simple thing isn't it but 10 yeah. years ago no one ever thought of doing that uh-huh, uh-huh. and it's now now they're they're everywhere, you know, certain Meanwood and Chapel Allerton and all kinds of places. I, I see them around now. Yeah, it's kind of on the... It's not mainstream, I guess. It's still niche as a thing. I mean, all arts is kind of niche in, in a sense, but street art, you know, you kind of used to have a bit more of an edge, I guess. And now it's kind of embraced a bit more. Yeah, I suppose you'd, you used to associate it with graffiti and uh, something, something yeah. a bit more underground, I guess. Yeah. Whereas now, uh, just the other day, I saw someone in Meanwood painting a, one of the boxes by the War Memorial as a, as a memorial um, around really? Remembrance Weekends. And that was obviously sort of sanctioned by yeah. the local area and stuff. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Whereas, I guess a few years ago, if someone had been doing that, you would have had to do it under the cover of night. From amazing street art on the side of buildings to window displays thanking key workers, It's been really inspiring to see people getting creative in their own communities. I think part of it has happened as a result of lockdown and people needing to express themselves in and around their own homes, where they've been more or less confined for the past eight months. But also I believe that we're more perceptive to street art, which speaks to us in a different way now and feels louder as we're no longer just driving past it on our way to work. We have the time to perceive and digest it. Have you kind of been inspired during this crazy year, like looking at empty buildings and, and thinking about how this has changed everything, like what, what, how have you been inspired by that, if at all? I found it very difficult really at the, at the beginning of lockdown in, back in March when sort of everything completely changed. Um, I did find myself really kind of just very locked up all the time, you know, I wasn't tending to go out from a daily a lot of exercise hour or anything like that so so I was very cooped up really I didn't I didn't get any of that inspiration at all I was feeling very down about it yeah at the time although then I, I kind of got an idea to um, make a some erasure poems from Boris Johnson's letter to the nation which yes being a bit more experimental like that which is not something I do a lot of that really yeah kind of kicked things kicked things into uh, action for me so that that helps but but in general you know I've not been out and about very much at all during the summer I went out for some long walks which was nice but but no the the whole of the the year really has been very solitary for me and very uh-huh. uh, very indoorsy I suppose as a as an urban as an urban pedestrian someone who as self-described is in, inspired by cities and people and pubs and communities and action, you know. This must have been more difficult for you than for, say, others who might be 
kind of rural dwellers and people who get inspired by countryside walks and yeah. nature I feel like that is still very possible and still very inspiring but the vibes that might stimulate you as a creative person have kind of suffered and been kind of on hold for so long now yeah I think that's exactly right and I think the same really applies with my life in general not just for writing it's about the only time in the last 30 years or so since I've been living in Leeds that I've I felt like I didn't want to live in the city you know I've always since I moved to Leeds it's being in the city has, has felt like it's the place for me you know it's yeah, I, would, I wouldn't want to I go back that. to living in a small town like I used to but sort of from March especially in those early lockdown days I felt like I just absolutely didn't want to be here because it felt like a very oppressive place yeah which yeah. I wouldn't normally feel yeah as as we went along it got better and the you know doing zoom events helped a lot um whether it was like poetry literature events or just chatting with friends and stuff yeah yeah I think I think there is a community of poets and and I think um, that's something I've noticed that I probably wouldn't have well, it wouldn't have it wouldn't have dawned on me before that we are actually sort of connected as as a community of, of artists as of creative thinkers and I, I used to kind of think of people uh, as people who I knew from events you know and and uh, you know people who I loved at those events but then I'd rarely really bump into them and rarely go out with them after the events or in between events or whatever yeah exactly that it's you know since I started um sort of getting more seriously into writing and starting and starting going to events then yeah it turns out you know most of my friends these days are are people who yeah. I'd, who I'd see at uh, word club at the chemic or, uh-huh. or workspace or outspoken when you used to do that and, oh yeah yeah you know i think uh, i'm not sure we've ever seen each other before today when we weren't in no. a pub or a, or a know, bar together at an event have we you're right you're right and I, I think it's kind of been nice to know that for me that's been quite a real thing for me to get head around that I, I am actually friends with a lot of these people and quite close to them in in different ways you know and it's brought that out for me and that's a positive I've taken from these these last few months yeah because like when the events have disappeared these people are still important to you that that's the main thing you know yeah and you know your, your friends and your family are the people who you turn to when we have uh, sort of difficult times like these, aren't they? They're the ones that, uh-huh. well, for most uh-huh. people, I guess, they're the ones who bring you through. So we're, we're heading into, which bit of Headingley is this then? North Lane? This is North Lane, uh, still very much central Headingley. We're just kind of having a bit of a diversion off the Otley Road um, because this is normally the route of the, that the Otley Run takes at this point. It used to be, all right. back in the old days, that... Uh, the Otley Run was all about the Otley Road, and you just stayed on that road and I thought that and went to all the pubs. But um, from the the mid nineties, some new pubs started some springing up. Better pubs, basically. Uh, well, just new. They these there's a couple of pubs up here, which we're about to go to or to see, the Headingley Taps and uh, and Manor Hatter as it is nowadays. It used to be Ark. Oh yeah. And they, oh, right. they didn't well. exist until later on. The Headingley Taps didn't open till. 1994 if I remember rightly and when did it occur to you when did you decide to write about this it started with just one poem which was called originally called Otley Run um, which kind of went through all of the all of the pubs and talked about some of the 
the characters, the costumes and things like that. And I originally just did that as a one-off poem, but when I was doing it, I thought, maybe I can do more with this. And then As a concept. As a concept, and got to thinking about how, how I would do it. And then originally, uh, and then eventually came up with the idea to to do it as uh, as what we called a verse novella in the yeah, end. Yeah, yeah. So it's a series of poems that, that tell a narrative about a day spent doing the Otley Run with a, a couple of groups of people. And how many poems is in that? A part of that collection? Oh well, there are fifteen pubs. Let me try and work this out. There are fifteen pubs. One of them, the last one, has two poems. And then there's a couple of extras, so I think there must be 18 so, poems in total. Okay, and has that, has that kind of informed your approach to writing now? Do you always kind of think of the concept album, what's my next concept album, or is it just still bit by bit, poem by poem, line by line, idea by idea, or do you kind of like, are you attracted to going for the, these grand concepts now that tie it all together? I guess in most of my writing, I'm really driven by ideas. I like to come up with an original idea, um, whether it's a narrative or or something more abstract, you know, I like to kind of maybe jam a couple of things together that you might not associate with each other and uh-huh, sort of mash uh-huh. them together and see what happens, come up with something absurd often in many cases. Yeah, so the contrast, a kind exactly, of yes. dichotomy kind of thing, okay. I had a really fun event yesterday, um, we were celebrating or commiserating, depending on how you look at it, um, the closure of Half Moon Books, my publisher, who published an Otley Run. Um, they've decided to, to close business after seven years of, no. of putting some really excellent books out. So we had a bit of a celebratory event with around 30, I think, poets who've been published by Half Moon. Oh, that's doing nice. a set. It was really fun. Um, you know, nice. the, these things get very wearing and Normally, after a couple of hours, I'm quite tired of a, a Zoom event. But oh, in this yeah. case, we went for nearly five hours, and I was just absolutely oh. wrapped with it, really. It's, uh, it was so good. It was so much fun. And it was a real celebration, you know, because they've, they've done so many great things as a, as a local publisher, and particularly given people opportunities to, to publish their first books. In most cases, they published my first book, and... You know, that's a really yeah, that's a great thing to you'll do. always remember. I'm exactly, sure. and as with particularly with poetry publishers, but all small publishers, you know, that they're, they're just doing it for the love of it. Yeah, yeah. And no one's no one ends up getting paid any vast amounts of money, and they just put the time in because they want to make it happen. Yeah, and that's you know, you, we need that in the in the writing community, don't we? Because without that, and what you know. You're a, yourself, you're a, someone who kind of puts that effort into to yeah. making things happen within the yeah. community as well, so you know very well that it's essential. Of course. I, I mean, it's funny, because I, when I put my effort into something, it's because of a desire to, to grow something and to make it the best and to make it last forever and to actually be part of something amazing you know that's literally how I approach most things you know but like in reality you know like you say things close down things are in transition all the time you kind of can't control the journey that you're on in a way um, and like you say Half Moon Books they're kind of shutting up shop but then what they played their part you know that's the main thing isn't it they exactly. played their part in something it might not have 
grown hugely. It's like spoken word. It might never get to the point where we're filling stadiums with performances and super success doesn't look like that. But, you know, you play your part in something, I think, don't you? And you don't know quite how long it might last sometimes. Exactly, yeah. And um, the poet uh, Ian Harker, who I think you know, was, was there with us yesterday and he was talking about how something like Half Moon Books or any, any other kind of um, writing project, event, whatever it is, it's no matter what it achieves itself, inevitably it kind of springs off other seeds. Yes. That people, um, it makes people inspired to do their own thing. So, yeah. you know, maybe that one of the people who were at the event yesterday will decide, yeah. maybe I should start my own publishing company. And that's company. the legacy. Exactly, yeah. And that's what you never know what you're giving, you know. You know, I'm sure you and I, you know, we'd love to know of all the people we've inspired ever, but... It's never obvious, and sometimes it's probably not obvious to the person who's been inspired either. I mean, no. I probably couldn't pinpoint one person who's inspired me, but obviously loads of people have, you know, and they probably didn't know that they rubbed off on me and that their ideas, you know, it, you never quite... It's never something you can measure, I suppose, is it? That's it, yeah, and if you do, like when you, you did Outspoken, for example, there would have been a lot of people who went to that event, whether it was as a regular or just as a one-off, who would have seen other other poets doing things yeah. that inspired them made them think about things when you're looking at creative people and uh you know people who are constantly thinking of of ideas and new things to to say and think about and even if only one out of 20 ideas actually progresses any further you kind of when you have conversations of all kinds with creative people these yeah. things spring up, don't they, and make you make you think about other things, kind of yeah. one thing following on to another. That's how I guess that's how we get our minds working a lot of the time, isn't it? Well, it's funny because sometimes you do have a chat and you forget about it, and then like it could be the longest time later, something's like, oh, that's what they meant, you mm. know, you know, like, and and you kind of reflect on, oh God, yeah, I I thought they meant this and they mean that, you know. You don't quite, um, you don't quite ever lose a conversation, I think. Uh, but I think it's important to, to just have them. You know, I feel like um, there's a kind of rawness to just walking around with someone, chatting about what, just chatting, just living in the moment. You know, rather than the kind of, like a digital conversation would be, could be rehearsed, and you're in your own space. You're not sharing a moment with someone really, are you? I think that's the, what makes the performance a bit feel a bit flat maybe yeah i think that's a, it's one of the differences with having the real human connection talking to someone uh side side by side as we are at the moment rather than yeah. on a screen or uh -huh. even in an email anything like that it's not it's not the same and uh -huh. unless you're you're there with a, a person or, or people but we um you know we know it's not the same you know we we know what it was before you know there'll be no so many people growing up now and in a few years who who won't know that it's like talking about cassettes or whatever yeah that's one of the one of the things i wrote during lockdown one of the few things i wrote was a poem about um thinking about how someone who's very young i was thinking about my nephew who's what is he four years old i think who does he realize how strange this really is you know because mm. that's happened so early in his life and for me 
you know, I've lived 45 years before anything like this happened. And we know that nothing like this has really happened for 100 years. Yeah. But if you're four years old, then yeah. it maybe, you know, feels yeah. as unusual as a, as a World Cup. <laughs> well, you, you accept the world you're presented with, probably, if, <laughs> at that age, I'd say. Exactly, yeah. Lately, I feel like I've had a million conversations about what the real impact of COVID-19 will be. But in reality, no one really knows. You can look back at history like the Spanish flu outbreak, but it doesn't compare to today's digital age when we could quite feasibly not have to engage as we previously did ever again. I don't even know what I'm prepared to get used to again. I'm not even sure what I'll do the next time someone goes to shake my hand. We've come down a, a side street, a residential street, a lot of red brick terraces, nice bays over there. There's a big puddle on the corner here. It's, it's always like, I think it, it's always the case with, with streets, the puddles decide to just form around one corner sometimes, don't they? This is a particularly huge one. It looks more like a lake. It, it is, yeah. Puddle. I wouldn't want to go in there. I'm not sure I'd get out. It definitely feels like autumn's kind of giving way to winter. Now there's more street, more leaves on the ground than in the trees above, by the looks of it. Just yeah. uh, it felt like a very sudden change from did. summer to autumn this year. It's been year, horrible month. Well, October and November. What's that on the window there? 52B. There's just people leaving instructions to yeah. delivery people. That's exactly. like a sign of the times, I think, isn't it? Yes, you get. And the to... bottle of Corona. Another, <laughs> another sign of the times. Well, we better stay away from that. There's a lot of, actually, there's, there's, a, there's a weird mixture of little tropes here. Like, so there's a couple of beer bottles and bottles of water and things like that. But then in the bin, there's a balloon that's almost deflated. So someone's had a party. It looks like it. And put that balloon in the bin and there's some flowers next to it. There's kind of signs of a celebration, um, ha like, that's happened and now it's Sunday morning and it's no longer happening and this stuff's in the bin. Yeah. yeah I wonder what was happening here last night. I wonder, yeah. I think there must have been some kind of party in the yard perhaps. Yeah, possibly. It's kind of set up that way. It's quite a social... You can kind of tell, you'd, you'd just have to look left or right and you're overlooking neighbours' front yards and you could probably just have tables and chairs and just kind of have a chat with your neighbour here. Yeah, and just a couple of doors down here there's some more deflated balloons uh -huh, hanging deflated. outside the door the deflating or deflated balloon is that could that could be a metaphor for something you know yeah yeah kind something. of a positive indication of of happy times balloons are like a happy thing aren't they 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 yeah they're used for celebrations and they ascend through yeah i don't know it's quite quite an inspiring thing but then when they're deflating it's kind of sad but at least kind of bittersweet maybe. It's not kind of uniform, is it, as a street? I think you get that sometimes in, in cities when the whole, the whole block was built at the same time, but I think all the houses here look like there were different phases and people have done different things, like some people have had got a hedge in the front garden. and Yeah, it's quite different to earlier on when we started and we were looking at all those big old Victorian mansions, which are probably much as they were back in the 19th century, whereas this is, it's much more mishmash, isn't it? Yeah. Things that have sprung up more recently than that. Whereas these buildings that we're passing here look like they probably are Victorian. Stone 
Yeah, old stone terraces, yeah. And then across, just across the road from them, these, mm. what, 1960s, 70s flats, I guess. Yeah, that's the thing about cities, I guess, isn't it? It's like, it, I mean, there's a the sort of ad hoc thing about it where there's just a necessity for housing and then obviously things just get built and it's like suppliers change. It's not like you kind of design something fresh each time and it's like, okay, we're going to build all these houses they're going to all look like this. It's like, oh no, we need some housing. Where have we got? Okay, we've got an area there. We'll do some there. You know, it, I think part of the reason why cities are quite there's a lot of contrast in cities is because of that transitionary, nate ad hoc, nate short term nature. You know. Yeah, I think because you know these things aren't sort of deliberately created. They cities grow organically happen. apart you know unless it's somewhere something like milton keynes which is specifically yeah. built as a yeah. as a town That's what most I mean, yeah. places aren't like that they just become don't they exactly small painted boxes around here yeah it looks like it's been kind of a community campaign i like yeah. that i like that there's one over the road there that says <laughs> he loves you yeah 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 i wonder what that's what's so, that yeah. talking about do you think that's a is it a jesus thing Perhaps, or is it? Uh, or or is, it a, is it a, a little love poem? <laughs> the Beatles. It's the Beatles song, isn't it? Yeah. Well, but, she loves you. It's but, the Beatles song. Yeah, it's she. Yeah, actually, yeah. I wonder. It's next to the church. So it's he loves you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Next to the church, written on a, on one of these boxes. Yeah. Yeah, it's not. It a, could be. It's not. Um, <laughs> it's not explicitly a religious message, but. I mean. I wonder if it could be. Respect, respect. If they've had some involvement and they've tried to diversify their messaging the, the church uh, is not renowned for using street art but no but you know times change these are crazy times yeah <laughs> <laughs> why not why not the original oak over there another of the Otley run pubs is uh, oh yeah that's where I do I do a lot of my writing it's one of the things about the only thing that's changed for me in lockdown part two is that I can't go to the Oak on a, a Monday afternoon, which is when I always go and, and have a bit of a writing session there. Oh, that's nice. What um, do you feel when you look at it and you can't kind of get in, get in there? It just feels, I guess there's this kind of sadness to it, but then a, a hope that it won't be long before we can mm. be back there again either you know as it has been for the last few months in yeah. the sort of strange social distanced version of pub going that we have this year and then eventually back to real normal mm. remember what that was like when you used to be able to go to a pub with like 20 people shake hands with someone and, and yeah lick each other's faces yeah. and it would all be fine and all the door handles yeah 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 I mean it people have said about pubs becoming more continental like table service and space and not ordering at the bar that, that's kind of a, a British thing isn't it even in states you know you don't go to the bar you sit down someone order, takes your order you know so yeah. I, I, I don't know I'd, I wouldn't to, personally I don't think I'd really mind if that was the status quo you'd have to kind of th there would be a poem in it though I think you could write something about trying to get in there first at the bar you know like muscling in and get your hand on the bar get your card out or your cash out we wait in there to get eye contact with the bartender and uh, then someone else comes after you and 
they get served before you and they don't acknowledge you. Oh, oh there's a poem in it. Enraging. And that, uh, you know, that that might never happen again. I don't know, but there's something in that you're trying to get. You're trying to get in there first. Trying to get eye contact. So that seems kind of daft now, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, well, I've tried to write in pubs before, and it's always been quite hit or miss. You know, sometimes you're just too relaxed. For me, it, it can just be too relaxing to be maybe next to a nice open fire and uh, crackling open fire and you've got a pint or you've got a whiskey or wine or whatever um, it's sometimes I need to be a, a it depends what type of writer you are because I need to feel a little bit uncomfortable a little bit like I have something to rile against maybe not that my work's like angry I wouldn't say but if I'm too comfortable I'm, I'm too content and I don't really feel like picking up the pen as much yeah, I think you can get, or I find you can get a lot of that in pubs or any kind of social situation really just by people watching because inevitably in a place like that not everyone is going to be well behaved or uh, or smart I guess, you know, you get, you can overhear people saying things that are just totally ridiculous or wrong yeah. or yeah. particularly with the Otley Run, you know, some most people who do the Otley Run just have fun, you know, they're there for a laugh, but then there's some people who have a few beers and turn into proper dickheads, you know, and that's mm, mm. you don't see all that much of that and, sort of thing around here, but you, you can, but yeah, they can do, yeah. yeah. A lot of the stuff in the in the Otley Run book, sorry, mate, a lot of the stuff in the Otley Run book is is about that. It's the characters in there you know they're not necessarily very nice people and do um, you make notes when you're in there then you you write down what you've overheard and stuff sometimes sometimes yeah the when i was writing the notley run it's um it's by no means a true story but i certainly took elements of, of real things that i saw in the pub because I, I wrote it all all the first drafts of the of all the pieces in there were written That's nice. in the pubs where they're set um, so I use some of those details, although none of it's actually the the real solid truth. And do you think that, like, does that just happily align with how you like to write anyway? Or, like, are you, would you call yourself kind of a method writer and if you were writing about something else, you'd hang out there? You know what I mean? I don't, I'm not sure I really have much of a method. I'm very bad at routine in general, which is why I like to... I like to keep those Monday afternoon sessions uh, as, a, as a regular thing because that's the time where I know I'm going to try and write something. And that's it's not like that's the only time I write. Monday afternoons. But it's the only time that I specifically set aside right. to write. And, um, and it, yeah, okay, I see, I see. So yeah, methods, maybe not so much. Uh -huh, uh -huh. More, much more ad hoc to me. I mean, sort of gathering thoughts in my head sort of throughout the week and yeah. then maybe spill them out on that. Monday afternoon yeah. session onto onto the page. Yeah, it seems sometimes quite absurd to think that you know I wrote, wrote something. You know, if I wrote a story, it, it wouldn't feel like I wrote that. It would just feel like this story happened, this story became, and I, I just helped it become, grow in, into itself. It feels, it doesn't feel like writing for me is about a conscious act. Sometimes it's just like about you, you kind of interpreting 
the world and then that flowing in your subconscious and then coming out kind of creatively but it i'd say 99 of it is almost without intention sometimes without deliberate intention about what comes out for me anyway the characters kind of end up taking over for me and i just kind of end up getting overwhelmed with what's happening in the story that i've just kind of breathed life into you know it's, yes. it's an organic entity yeah it's different ways of doing things and I, i'm a bit of a mix really it's some things yeah some things are some things are more kind of immediately inspired and spilled out in one go whereas for example i've got an idea in my head which has been there for years and years really which i'm hoping i might actually start writing soon yeah. uh, of a i guess it's going to be a novella eventually and that's very much intricately that's very much intricately plotted out in my head um, yeah. and I'm just waiting to fill in the details I guess before I even start thinking about putting it down on paper do you know what I mean so you need the, the kind of framework sort of thing I feel like in this case I need that free framework but yeah. I wouldn't I wouldn't always do that sometimes I work in a very different way the opposite to that and yeah. just kind of see what happens as I'm as I'm writing. Although I think I'm probably more more the former sort of style, having things kind of worked out, at least a skeleton of the of a plot or an idea before I really start to, to actually for, put for words a novella, down. You've kind of probably got to have a slightly different. I mean, a poem can be free of form, can't it? You know, you can do you can just see which way the wind blows on the day with a poem, but. For, some, yeah. for a story, you know, you've got to kind of craft a bit more, haven't you? That's it. As I've been having all these conversations with writers which go deep into their creative processes, it's been a really valuable learning point to see that everyone does have a different method, or more accurately, a different collection of methods depending on the idea, the format, and how they're feeling. That's why it's so difficult to teach someone how to become a writer. As we continued our journey around Headingley, Joe and I headed up Alma Road, which held a few personal memories for me. Let's go up here, we can go up can Alma go up Road. Up road here, go around yeah, the, this actually the is a um, bit sad. I remember Alma Road, because I remember coming up here um, to see Carrie, who did the Leeds little library, little yes. free library. Yes, there's the little library so she just lived on the end here. of the road here, yeah. Actually, I did used to live around here. Um, Where did you live? Uh, this is Grange, uh, what's it called? It's like North Grange Court or something. Right, yeah. It's like the, apartments and stuff. With student halls and all that, yeah, that's over in that There is, direction. there was a block there, yeah, yeah. So uh, that would be interesting going back. Is that accessible this way? No, it's, that's way Ah, it's the other way, isn't it, yeah. We could go there, but you'd be well out of your, yeah. your route oh, if you well. want to go back to no, I just uh, I, I was just there for like three months when I first moved to Leeds. That was my first, my first, the first place I stayed. This is actually where I first lived when I came to Leeds. When I was a student, I lived here in Lufton Flats in my first year. And I've, uh, I only live five minutes down the road now, so I haven't got very far. <laughs> must be, uh, you must be fairly happy here then. Yeah, I love it around here. I've always lived sort of round and about this area, Headingley, Meanwoods, Hyde Park. That sort of thing in all the in all the time that I've lived in Leeds, nearly 30 years now, and it's a it's a good place to be. I like the 
the vibe of it, especially in the middle of Henley. Yeah, do, do you get a certain feeling when you walk past the place that you used to live in? I guess I'm so used to it, because I walk past on the other side of, of Lupton Flats more, more or less every day. Oh, yeah. Uh, or at least when, I, when we're allowed out of the house. Yeah. So I suppose it's, it's, it's so normal that I don't really feel much about it at all. Yeah, because I, yeah, I once had a, an idea about... Um, you know, I think it was just by chance. I think the first family home I ever lived in uh, was up on the market and someone said, oh, have a look. And I could see like my old bedroom and stuff on right move and what yeah. people had done with it and remembering where I used to put my gladiators poster and all that. And it, it kind of evokes something. It evokes, you know, it stirs your memories of what happened there. Memorable yeah. and mem things that stay in your mind are memorable po for both positive and negative reasons sometimes. So it, it can bring quite a lot back. And I did think whether it would be worth doing a project, a sort of creative project where you just drive around and park up outside your former homes and just think, just write what comes to mind, you know. That's made me think of a, a, a strange thing, which someday I think I'll write about this, but I don't know, I don't know when and how. But um, where, my, where my parents live, which is in a town called Hexham in Northumberland, where I used to live. Yeah. Um, if you look on Google Maps, uh, Google Street View. I'm not sure if it's still the same now or if there's a, an updated picture. If you look at what's on there, it's odd because there are cars parked on their driveway and around the house that wouldn't normally be there. And mm. we were looking at this one time and trying to think why that would be. And the only possible reason why it could be is because that photograph was taken on the day of my... Uh, my <laughs> sister's ex-husband's funeral. What? So it, mar it captured that? Yeah, that, that, that very that's, day. That's kind of, that's poetic. That's like, that, that's photography. Isn't it? That is, it's got so much charge, isn't it? The stories yeah. behind Google Street View, like what, what you didn't realise was a profound thing at the time. Yeah, yeah of yeah. all the days they could have chosen to drive their Street View car up that road. We weren't there, of course, we were down... That's, it that's is, uh, really... an awake in town. No, there's something in, there's something in that, man, yeah. Yeah, you can see why, I, why that's a thought in my head about something to write about, yeah. but I'm not quite sure how. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you could, you could do... I mean, if you're playing with format, you could actually... And obviously with the digital world we we kind of been accelerated into recently, you could do something like a journey on Street View or what, I don't know. You could use those images, because I'd want to see the images now you've described them. Yeah. You know, I'd want to actually see what you're talking about, you know, as, a, as someone who would be a listener or an audience member. Mm. But it wouldn't... The, the picture itself wouldn't mean anything to anyone else. You still kind of want to see what you mean. Mm. I'd, I would, anyway, you know. Yeah. I'd want to see, like, how that looked, personally. I've just chosen to stop outside the little free library box. This was the original one, Kerry Franklin, uh, who pioneered that whole project in Leeds. Was where, this the very she, first one? Where she it? lives and what she designed. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I didn't realise that. Let's so, shall we have a look at what's in it? Yeah, yeah. You, let's have a, a look. I think it's a lot. It's permitted, isn't it? I think they were locked up for a while. But yeah, this is a a shared library, isn't it? Where people can leave a book and take a book, and it's. It's just a box that opens up and you can kind of have a peek inside or maybe it is actually shut. I think it seems to be locked at the moment. 
Oh uh, yeah, you can see actually. Yeah, I think it's nicely decorated though, and it it, yeah. it does make me sad because yeah, Carrie was really inspiring, and she built this up, and it it was all just about kindness and about inspiration, and she was a really positive person. No, oh, it's nice nice to come back here actually. Yeah, the last time I came back here was when we were working on something together where. I was putting a notepad in, in loads of these around Leeds as part of the first Lit Fest, actually, and just getting people to co-write a story. So there was just basically a notepad in each box and then people who would come along would write them and it would be like a community story that we'd make. And, like, Carrie basically was telling me which boxes to go to and I had this image of me having just moved to Leeds from York. I had this image of myself just merrily cycling around each of them but I hadn't realised how much bigger Leeds was and uh, <laughs> obviously you can't really... You, I was having to drive, really. You, you couldn't have just cycled, no. cycled between them all in an afternoon like you could in York. I love the Leeds Little Free Library because it seems that they're in it for the same reasons we are, inspiring people in everyday spaces and reminding people that stories can be found everywhere. There are over 30 Little Free Library boxes around Leeds and in other cities too. Check it out, there might be one on your street. Oh, hang on, my lace. Should I uh, double tie them? <laughs> not, not used to, not used to uh, being out, out and about. Anyway, that's a good reason for you to be doing this podcast that gets you out and about. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I've been bogged down, well, happily with with just oh, renovating my house. You know, just kind of. Got a proper fixer-upper. Had to put a water supply in. Had to put electrics in. Not myself, but had to like actually gut the place. And like, I've just been surrounded by boxes and unplastered walls and stuff for months. And uh, you know, I, it's kind of been. Uh, it was. It would have been a mental time anyway. Uh, in a way, like this has been a good time for it. Madly. Sounds like a nightmare, nightmare anyway, at any time, I would say, if you ask me. Yeah, I never really wanted to do that, but I've, it has been fun, like, and it it will become a house that I am happier in all the more, like, for it, really. And so, like, when we've been walking, like, I never would have noticed before, but I, I do look at houses differently now, I do. Like, I mean, you, you've obviously commented on some of the, you know, about what a Victorian house might look like or whatever. But, like, I do just look at... I could look at houses for, for hours, you know. I could look at the windows and the bay, like, the nice stone bay, sash windows, that kind of thing. Yeah. It's just given me this vision for it. Like, I actually love how there's a big... something growing up this one. Um, this is cool. It's Like, usually you see... Um, what's the one that grows up houses that people Ivy. have? Yeah, something... Usually you get, like, leaves and little thin branches, but this thing is a, quite a thick tree that's grown up this house strange isn't it i've never noticed this before it, it's covered here. it's covered most of the house it's working its way up by the looks of it but it's a proper tree with bark and and it's growing up growing up the side of this uh, terrace or is it just a semi-detached or something it almost looks like it's growing out of the house yeah like it's kind of yeah. wrapping the house up in its in its arms yeah it's it's striking and it it's uh I think there is ivy actually further down. Maybe it, it does. It's an offshoot or something. Perhaps it is. 
but yeah I've never seen it like that before just a, a tree actually kind of wrapping its arms around a building rather than just decorating it embellishing it you know it's actually kind of part of the structure of it here yeah I can't believe I've never noticed this before and there'll be like birds and all sorts living in it and there'll be whole civilizations there that, yes. that just wouldn't exist on the side of a, a building but yeah just I'm kind of amazed by by buildings like I never wasn't I do quite like stone buildings specifically like I feel like the sight of a Yorkshireness to them somehow yeah it just does feel autumnal today very autumnal. That was a good uh, stiff breeze in my face when I was walking yeah. up to meet you. Yeah, do, do you find this kind of an inspiring season? I mean, I know you've said that you're inspired by people, not so much more than nature, but like, does, do the seasons affect your work in, in any way that you're aware of? It certainly affects my mood. I'm not sure about my work so much, but I'm very much a, a summer person. Mm. I like to get out in the sun and do. Yeah. I particularly kind of just go on long walks in the on a nice sunny day. A bit of uh, urban exploration. Right. Yeah, I can't blame you really. I think most people kind of do like autumn as well. Can look a bit look a bit more picturesque. Yeah, I think I think like. Yeah, it does affect your mood. I think your mood can affect your work, though, right? I guess it must inevitably, perhaps you don't notice it doing that, but mm. there must be some kind of subconscious effect, at least. Yeah, I, I do think so. Um, you know, you can, you can sense someone's emotions, like a writer's emotions in the piece sometimes. I think it's a bit of a funny thing sometimes, because... If you're writing a piece that's quite, quite humorous, or like you have, um, or a piece that's quite angry, then you are like, um, kind of, it would help to be in those moods as you're writing them, right? I don't know. Is it is it better to be in that mood, or is it better to be outside of that, looking in, to have have a different more detached sort of feeling? I guess again, there's two different approaches to that, isn't there? So then you're more kind of aware of the voice of the poem and as a mature, objective writer of that. Yeah, poem. maybe you need a bit of both, really. Maybe you need to... Perhaps, you know, when you're writing a first draft, maybe it's best to, to be in that right mood, but then hmm. when you're editing or revising, to look at it again with when you're feeling differently. I see, yeah. A different perspective. I think that's, I think that's probably... A, a sensible way of approaching a piece mm -hmm. of work to to try and come at it from as many different perspectives as possible and I suppose your personal mood is part of that. That's true, that's true. Yeah, I mean, I've been thinking about that lately because everyone should be aware of, you know, and, and should want to support their own well-being and part of that is, um, I think, you're encouraged to control your emotions but I think as a writer, I, I don't always want to. And I, I kind of want my emotions to stir something and to create a piece of work. I feel like my best work is produced when I am overwhelmed with emotion. I think, for me, I can be quite productive if I'm overwhelmed with emotion. That's when 
you know, times when I'm, particularly times when I'm feeling quite down, mm. those are times when I can, I guess I kind of distract, I guess I kind of distract myself by um, kind of immersing myself in, in writing. So I think some of those times are the, are the most productive times. Although that said, you know, in this lockdown, I felt very much the opposite of that. Yeah. I was feeling very down at the beginning of it, but then but unable mm. to really write anything, um, mainly because I was out of my usual routine, I mm. think. But so, mm. again, you know, I suppose as, as with most things this year, things are just so completely different to normal that it's, it's hard to make any, any comparison to anything else we know, isn't it? Yeah, oh yeah, for sure. It's, it's a journey that we're on. Always, yeah. Yeah, I th maybe you were struggling to produce work because you knew you weren't going to perform it. I guess that's one. Uh, that's one possibility. Yeah. Because it's always nice to envision the outcome of your work, and sometimes when I'm when I was kind of a bit more specifically dedicated to just writing spoken word pieces, now I'm doing kind of bit of other things now but I kind of always have a half an eye on how I was going to perform them and I'd always try and think of an audience in front of me as I was delivering it and and I guess if that is removed as a as a possibility i.e. if you're unable to perform it which we are at the moment then then you got to think of something else you've got to kind of envision something else. I normally sort of work around events in a in a sort of similar way, like Word Club at the Chemic is uh, my most regular monthly events that I go to. Uh, obviously, happening only happening online at the moment, but you know, normally, uh, particularly with uh, well, only with poetry because it's a poetry event. I think about kind of having work ready for that. I don't like to to go to Word Club and not have one or two new poems okay. to try out normally that I'm doing for the first time so that's part of what creates my my structure I guess uh -huh. having a sort of a target to work to to do that yeah I mean at the moment I'm I'm just kind of in a weird place I'm not really putting any pressure on myself and I mean because I when I was hosting Outspoken I'd always do I was just like you you know I'd try and have at least one every month so I could do that and uh I think I mainly kept, kept that up, um, or like it at least encouraged me to finish one in time. Like, because sometimes I've I've got I've got quite a lot of poems that are like ninety five percent done, or so I think. And the longer you leave them, the more you probably more likely to transform them when you come to them again. Because uh, I'm sure if you read back your old poems, you, you probably, and you were invited to edit them, you probably would edit them more. But yeah, um, I'm now just sort of doing bits and pieces and just feeling creative just uh, in this, for example, you know, and in other ways like um, doing like um, the found fiction bits, workshops and... For me, you know, I've been very busy this year. I've done a lot of stuff. I was, just a few weeks ago, I was looking back on the year and sort of writing a list of all the things that I've done and it's absolutely loads. That's great. I'm really pleased with everything that I've achieved and you know it's I've said to myself if I don't achieve anything else for the rest of the year it doesn't matter no. it's fine 
And that's it for another edition of Look Closer, the Found Fiction podcast. Thanks to my special guest, Joe Williams, who took us on a creative journey around Headingley. Before we say goodbye, we've got a couple of pieces of found fiction news to tell you about. As mentioned last time, we've been partnering up with Space 2 Leeds to create creative Christmas hampers for residents of East Leeds. We included creative writing prompts and writing people to get creative in their own homes, as well as stories written by Geraldine Montgomery, Marion Caban, Angela Huskisson and Elizabeth Hopkinson. I'm pleased to announce that these hampers are now making their way out to 300 families across Gipton, Harehills, Meanwood and elsewhere. We're really proud to be brightening up people's Christmases this year, probably more so than we would any other year, what with 2020 being so tough for so many. The second piece of news is a reminder that things don't always work out. We were recently unsuccessful in our bid for funding from Historic England to roll out our Street Stories project nationwide. This would have been absolutely amazing, but you can't win them all. Ultimately, we feel like we've been really lucky this year. While none of the huge number of events-based activities we had planned could go ahead, we've still managed to do what we do, leading writing workshops for schools, universities and creative groups, staging street literature projects like Street Stories in Leeds and It's Proper Art in London, and staging writing competitions like the one with Argyle and Butte Community Learning. We've also done stuff we probably wouldn't have normally done, like classes on Zoom and this podcast. And we've made new connections we might not otherwise have made, like with the Kenya-based African Fiction Academy, Switcheroo and Creatives Garage, who we worked with on the Masterclass series. Who knows what 2021 will bring, but we'll be approaching it with the same gusto as always, because inspiring people in everyday spaces through the written word is what we live for. We wish you all the best too. From everybody at Found Fiction, have a lovely Christmas and a Happy New Year.